Sometimes the lectionary readings, you wonder um, where the Old Testament and the New Testament easily blend. I don't think it's as difficult this morning as we have our New Testament and Old Testament reading to see where Joseph is the one who's loving, yes, family, but family who were enemies at one point. And you might consider Joseph's story as we go through our sermon. I read a book once that said that my job is to bring together the text and the context and almost like a poet uh, cause it to explode in your soul for the week that is ahead. So let's get the context and then bring the text and see if we can have any explosions as we go. The context is easy this week. And it was good that it was somebody else for a change. Scottish football is sectarian this week. The west of Scotland is in the spotlight. Uh, If you've missed it, uh, Rangers supporters um, sang sectarian and gave sectarian verbal abuse to the Kilmarnock manager Steve Clark, who's a Catholic. And Celtic supporters gave the same verbal sectarian abuse to Kilmarnock's striker Chris Boyd, who's a Protestant. It's good to see Rangers and Celtic working together for a change. It's also good to see that Kilmarnock are part of the news for a change. John Bell, who's from that very town, would not believe how much it was on the map this particular week. But it makes you look at that word sectarian again, as it did me. I actually thought that the West of Scotland sectarianism, and it it was specifically the West of Scotland and carried Janice's friends over for the weekend and uh, coming from the West of Scotland but not being sectarian. Um, she, would, um, she would suggest that that's true, that if you go to Aberdeen or Edinburgh or other places, there's not that same sectarian kind of intensity that there is in Glasgow. And I suppose for me and my laziness, I thought it was just our sectarianism brimming over through a couple of football teams. But actually, I've been reading about the origins of Manchester City this last week, um, founded by a minister. Um, As many football teams came out of church teams, I think nine of our league teams in England came out of church teams. And as I was reading about the context of 1880s Manchester, it was just as sectarian as the west of Scotland or ourselves. But it seems that probably by 1890 or 1895, they had got over it. But the west of Scotland and ourselves, it's sort of retreating in on us. Of course, we don't have to go to the west of Scotland. When the institutions were pulled down a couple of years ago, over two years since we had any government in this country, but who's noticed? Um... They told us it was going to be bitter and sectarian from then on. And I honestly believe that's the case. Whether it was Mary Lou's Tuppensworth about the new chief constable having to be from outside, or Mervyn's story, we will not go back to 50-50 recruitment in PSNI. There is a polarization within our political community at this moment in time that is not good. There's a hardness to it again. It's nothing new, but it's intensifying again. The context. 
Then you bring these words of Jesus into that context. Now let me start off by saying, 10.10, you know what's my favorite verse? Well, this is my 10 or 11 verses. When Father Martin and I were in America a few years ago talking about the work that we do, he took John 17, we may all be one, and I took this passage as why I'm involved in peacemaking and why Fitzroy's involved in peacemaking and why we have a Four Corners Festival. This, for me, is maybe even why I was thinking about it, of course, over the last two days, a little bit wider than I usually do. And I would say, for me, the challenge of these verses, the energy of these verses, the radical rebelliousness of these verses and somehow encapsulate the Jesus that I decided to follow as a 17-year-old. Reading that book about Manchester City last night, I got to this place where YMCA's are being founded to try and bring uh, particularly young men back to faith. As 100 years later, I was involved in the founding of the Balamina YMCA for the same reasons. But one of the things that the writer suggests was the reason for this was that actually the gospel just didn't appeal to the masculine. Men thought it was a bit twee. And I'm going, what on earth were they reading? Or what on earth was being preached? Because to me, this has got all the gut and the grow and the passion of people who want to change the world. It's amazing stuff. But to you who are listening, there's a good start to it. To you who are listening. I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill treat you. If someone slaps you in one cheek, turn to them also the other. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Love your enemies. Now the first thing about it is, it should within us just boil us up with that. How dare you, you scumpy Nazarene from Capernaum or Bethlehem or wherever you came out of? What are you talking about, love my enemies? That's the first emotion that it might be able to bring out in us. And then there's this incredible sense of a whole new world coming. That I'm sorry, but as a man, I kind of would like just as much as you women might like. The text of Luke chapter 6 into the context of where we specifically live it's explosive it's explosive Jesus calls us to a radical upside down kingdom living now the first thing just to go back to or just to put us in the text for a moment is I think sometimes we read the gospels or any scripture, and we read them as some book that sits as a book on a shelf, rather than get into the feeling or the sense of the social that's going on around it. And one of the things we need to hear from this, and Gary brought it out amazingly well in one of his uh, evening things on Romans about a year ago. This was a violent society. You, You can pick that up as you read the gospels if we listen enough even that moment where they come for Jesus and it says the soldiers came with clubs and they 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 didn't come to take Jesus uh, in a uh, and actually we're back to that 1880s how do men not get this this was and this was too masculine 
They were out for the night to try and beat the turd out of whoever they could beat it out of on a violent, nasty kind of way when they came for Jesus in the garden. This is a violent society. You might just see people on crosses on the way home from church today if you lived in this kind of society. This is, um, this is a violence that, my goodness, I was going to say we know nothing about, but goodness, those 40 years of the Troubles, we do know something about it. But it's got that kind of intensity. And it's into that kind of intensity of everyday violence that Jesus is talking about loving your enemy. That Jesus is talking about not a boomerang love, but a frisbee love. And whether it was Jesus speaking to the disciples at this moment as it was, or whether it's Luke taking what Jesus talked about on the plane and making it even more relevant as he pulls together his editorial of Luke and Acts for the community that he's writing into, we need to see that this was a group of people who knew violence and knew it well and yet were being told not to retaliate. But they were being told a whole lot more than not to retaliate. If we think this is just turning the other cheek, then we're not reading the passage as it's laid out. And I was drawn, uh, as I was thinking about this, to the story keepers when um, Caitlin was 21 yesterday. Isn't that a lovely idea? Um, and uh, so we've been thinking about their childhood a little bit over the course of the last wee while. We used to watch the story keepers. Caitlin watched the story keepers on a loop. And the story keepers was basically this children's um, cartoon thing which um, was the early Christian community. And it was how they taught the children the stories of Jesus. And it was set as children within this early Christian community in Rome under a very violent regime trying to make the most of it and how they shared the stories one with another in the underground because they were scared almost to come up and literally there was an underground. And there was an incredible scene that I remember showing to my students at Daravogi once where the kids are running away in the underground from a Roman who, a Roman soldier who's after them and is going to be pretty brutal to them when he finds them. And the, and the, the, the Roman soldier falls into this gaping hole, this chasm, and he's hanging on with his fingertips and he's just about to let go and the kids are running away when one of the kids stops and comes back and looks at him and looks at the hole and then tries to think, what should I do here? And the others are telling her to run away, run away, run away. But she said, no, I remember the story that Jesus taught us about the Samaritan. And I remember the stories we heard about Jesus telling us to love our enemies. And so you've got to come back here and we've got to get this Roman soldier out of this mess and save his life. Now, it's pretty dramatic even in a cartoon. But it's what we're being told here. And it is explosive. It is incredible. It is otherworldly that instead of running away from the soldier who was going to brutalize you, you come back and save the life of the one who was going to do that. That's what the early church were living under. But this is about more, as I said, than retaliation. This is about welfare. You've got to bless them. You've got to pray, not I'll treat them, and you've got to give them your coat, and you've got to make sure that they're all right. This is, this is about something far more than just a passive not being involved. This is an involvement. This is a giving. This is an activity that is for the good of the one who is 
trying to kill you or on the other side or whatever else. And it seemed to me, again, as I reflected on these stories this week or these passages of scripture this week, (coughs) excuse me, and where we've been going in the Torah in our Sunday night series, which has been really intriguing. And last week we were looking at Deuteronomy and we were looking at abundance in Deuteronomy and uh, prosperity in Deuteronomy. And we were saying, well, there was a lot of prosperity in the Old Testament. If we looked after things right, we would, be, we would prosper in land of milk and honey and all that stuff. But there isn't much in the New Testament. Well, actually, if we read the end of this passage, which I would never get to because I would always finish in verse 36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. If we read the next couple of verses that were read to us, um, Babari. Then we will find give and it will be given to you a good measure pressed down shaken together and running over. It will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use it will be measured to you. Now I was ignoring that completely until it went mad yesterday on Facebook because obviously when you do the lectionary the wonderful part of it is the world's doing the lectionary. So Doug's doing the lectionary in Glasgow and he has a friend doing it in New Zealand and suddenly he was saying let's start here rather than where we're going to start. And I was going, I'm not so sure about that, Doug. There's a 21st birthday party later on and I don't really have the time to get into the verses you're talking about. But, but he intrigued me enough to think, what is this abundance about at the end of this passage? And I immediately went back to the Deuteronomy stuff where, let me try and put it like this, if you were in the Deuteronomy discussion or Leviticus or, or the other ones where we were looking at the law and why we keep the law and why the law was given. And, and one of the things we would say is it was so that the, the people of God would be different than the... Uh, the other countries or communities or societies around them and there's no doubt about that but I've got this thing within me and it may be a heresy and it may be wrong but I'm not sure that God's just going to make us different for the sake of being different I'm not sure he's going to make us wear orange because everybody else wears green or that um, it was great when I lived in Dublin in the early 90s because they, they had to take the same traffic lights as we had in the UK but because it was Ireland they wanted to be different than the UK so what we had was an orange man for walking across the road rather than an orange for driving. They had to use the same things but we had to be different than the community. I don't think, I don't think God's interested in giving us laws just so that we would be in some strange way different. I actually think he's given us laws to make us different for our own prosperity and good now that doesn't mean prosperity because as soon as you say the word prosperity everybody thinks we'll be millionaires not a bit of it just so that we would thrive in life and so that we would have life in all its fullness so I want to use an illustration before Caitlin was 21 when she was three or four and we would walk up the Lisburn road maybe on a Saturday morning and you were at that age where you know if if you're three or four or five if you have a kid of three or four or five it's good when you're crossing the road to keep your eye on them because they haven't any inbuilt kind of working out of that so green cross codes and all you can understand why it's there so green cross code you look both ways and you keep looking and when you're crossing and you do all that kind of stuff and then one day I realized We were walking up to the park, but I wanted to get Q magazine, so I just sort of ran across the road. And I thought, that was a bad example. And then I realized, no, that the Bible talks a wee bit about that, that when you grow up, you think for yourself, but you actually grow up, you think for yourself, but you don't put the law behind you. So I didn't consider the Green Cross Code as I ran across the Lisburn Road that Saturday morning. I didn't consider it, but of course I did. I didn't consider it and that I didn't stop and consider it. 
but it had become so much a part of my life that there was no way I was getting across the Lisburn Road without being knocked down, without putting into practice in some chaotic way the rules of the Green Cross Code. If I hadn't looked either way, I was knocked down. If I had stopped looking, I was knocked down. I didn't keep the law because the law had become part of my living in a way that was freer than stopping. Now, the other end of that is, I could say, Caitlin Jasmine, here you are, and if you don't use the Green Cross Code, I'm going to slap your ears. And they would look up and say, well, there's lots of lawyers in Fitzroy, and I'm sure I could get to sue you then, Danny. <laughs> Just imagine it's my parents after me, and they could slap me ears. In fact, many's the time they did. Now, I don't think God's saying to us, if you don't keep these laws, I'm going to slap your ears. I think God's saying, if you don't keep these laws, you're going to get knocked down by a truck. But if you do keep these laws, you're going to be healthier in heart, soul, mind and strength. What Ross prayed about the abundance that the world needs of mercy and justice and love If we keep what Jesus tells us how to live, then I believe that's the abundance that we're hearing about in verse 38. Because their laws are not there just to stop us having fun. The laws are there to create this whole new world that would be different and abundant and all the things that we need in the world. And also, if we did live in a just world, if we did live in a merciful world, I don't think there would be as many people today living in oppression or hunger Or in that different economic state. So today the text. Collides. With our context. We as the church. Have got to model. A different way to live. There's sectarianism going on. All around us. Even within us. And we've got to model something. Different. And when we do what Jesus tells us to do here, which is to love our enemy, to pray for those who will treat you, to do good to those who are, then we extend God's mercy. Others experience God's mercy and we model God's mercy to the communities around about us. I think the first time I said it was on the view, might as well name drop that, Mark Carruthers asked a question. It was just after the institutions went down and we were in because Four Corners was about to start. And I said that night, and I've said it again and again, I believe it more than I've ever believed it during this year's Four Corners, that peace and mercy and justice are not going to drip down storm and hell. They're going to have to flow up it. And if they're going to flew up it, then in Belfast this morning, the most hopeful bunch of people that I can find who might create a movement that is anti-sectarian is in front of me now or in other church buildings. Because I imagine because I have been on many putting greens that they're not talking about this or they don't believe it's part of whatever it is on the golf course this morning or running down the river although they might be talking about it here we have it as part of what we're complicit in we're being called to model anti-sectarianism 
to break down the walls of sectarianism, to erase the lines of sectarianism in our world. And can I finish this morning by just being commending? 40 years you guys have been doing it, long before I appeared in the scene. For 40 years, Fitzroy has been trying to follow the instructions of Jesus on the plane to break down the walls of Northern Ireland sectarianism, to erase the lines that we draw in red or wherever we want to draw them. 40 years. I just know a few of them. But they're wonderful stories. We had a story one morning where uh, Sophie Ann was being baptised. Okay, and Brian's family come from a Catholic community. And so Father Jerry, rest his soul every time I say his name, I get emotional, but Father Jerry was helping me with the baptism. And so I took Sophie Ann down this side, and then we went outside, and then I handed Sophie Ann to Father Jerry, and Father Jerry brought Sophie Ann up this side, and I thought, there's sectarianism just destroyed in an instant right there. There was an open house lunch after it. And this visiting family said to me over the table, what did that family think when you hand it their baby to a Catholic priest? I said, oh, uh, no, Brian's whole family are from a Catholic. Oh, but for them that line was still really clear. We'd erased it. Didn't even think about it. The best of all's what happened one Sunday night about eight years ago. I've told you this before, but not all of you have heard it, but I just this is this is my best ever Fitzroy story. Gladys Daniel, if you have a pen and notepaper, you need this story. This has to be in Father Jerry's biography. Hold the press. Two young South Armagh boys are up for the weekend. They're in their upper sixth year, they're going to uh, Queen's the year after and they want to know what it's like to party in Belfast on a Friday and Saturday and Sunday night but by Sunday evening at around 9.15 or 9.30 they've had enough they're a wee bit out of their safety zone and all their mates are a wee bit further gone than they would like to be gone and they want to make their way back to their mate's house somewhere in the Holy Lands and so these two Catholic boys come out of wherever they're coming out of and they think on their way back, we just need a minute to stop and get into a church and just deal with what we've been watching and seeing or whatever else. I don't know where they were, but it must have been pretty crazy. And so there's none. You would have to go all the way down to St. Malachy's. There's not one in this area. So there's a blue door out here because we haven't built the extension yet. You remember that old cold blue door? Bless them. They came to the old cl cl closed dead blue door and they knocked it. And so up the corridor, Chris Hunter's our youth director, and Chris hears the door, and down he comes, and he opens the door. And these two guys, have faces white, say, look, we'd just like, is this a chapel? We'd just like to come in and sit for a minute and maybe have a, a wee moment's prayer. And, and Chris says, no bother, come on in, come on in. Just sit there for a second. I'll, I'll go and get somebody for you. Well, wouldn't that be the night that Ken and Jerry are speaking to the youth group? So Chris goes down the corridor and he says to Father Jerry, Father Jerry, there's a couple of Catholic boys have just knocked the door. They look as if they could do with a wee bit of pastoral care. You wouldn't go up and talk to them. Now, to Chris, they looked a bit rough. So Chris stuck with Jerry and he comes up to them and he says to Jerry, will you be all right with these boys? And Jerry looked at Chris and said, I work on the Falls Road, son. You're in South Belfast. I'll deal with them better than you. And he sat down and prayed with them and off they went on their way home. And I've always wanted to know what happened the next night in South Armagh. 
Ma, we were struggling a bit, so we looked for a Catholic church, but there wasn't one. So we knocked the door of a Protestant church, and a Catholic priest fell out of a cupboard and prayed with us. <laughs> but you know what? The walls of sectarianism were gone. The lines of sectarianism were erased. And I hope those guys caught that in the flavor of what happened to them on that night. When the institutions were pulled down and I heard the first interview and then the commentator saying it's going to be a sectarian election coming up, I immediately phoned Father Kieran O'Callaghan and said, you're praying on Fitzroy on Sunday morning. If you remember that prayer upstairs, because we were upstairs at the time, it was an amazing prayer for our country. Because we in Fitzroy, for 40 years, have been part of what Jesus' movement has been to break down the walls of this sectarianism and to erase the lines of it. But here's the verse to finish. Galatians 6, way out of context. Verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Do you know, in those 40 years, think about it for a second. And sorry, I'm often one and I will stop. In those 40 years, think about it for a second. How many Presbyterian churches between here and, say, the Antrim Road have closed? How many? And look at us. It's half term and there's still a few you hear. Our figures weren't jumping and growing a hundred this last year but we grew slightly in the number of people in Fitzroy that's not what's happening in the churches around us in the inner city and I just wonder Fitzroy I just wonder in the morning when we give thanks to God for 51,000 of Nessie's estate and we need to call it the Nessie Walsh Corridor Gallery at some stage in the future or the money you've given to Onialaku but the living out of breaking down sectarianism in Belfast, I think this morning in the community that we still have against all the odds is reaping a harvest for following the words of Jesus and trying to do the things he tells us because if we don't do them, he's not out to smack us. He's saying if you do do them, you can change the world and bring that joy, that justice, that mercy, that love that the world, Northern Ireland and the West of Scotland so badly needs. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for Ken's ministry, for Ken and Jerry's ministry, for Father Alec, for Harold Good, for ministers within our denominations that set out to follow these words when actually, truthfully, they've not been words that well kept across our denominations in Northern Ireland or Ireland. I thank you for what Ken brought here. I thank you for that prophetic message he brought and for the way he lived it out. And I pray, Lord, that we will not grow weary of that ministry of Fitzroy in a time when in the context of our times we need it more than ever. We pray that each one of us would be line erasers wall breakers downers 
whether that's in our families, whether that's in our street, whether that's in our communities or places of work or wherever it is. Lord, may we not grow weary because if we follow your word and your teaching, then you will bless us abundantly with the things that we need abundantly rather than the things the world is after. Oh, please, Lord, we offer ourselves to you and we pray that you would make us those who would give the love that you give us away this week. In Jesus' name, amen.